Lord, we do. We thank you and we praise you for the shed blood of our Savior. Lord, that you loved us so much, you'd rather die than live without us. Lord, I do pray we come tonight humble and broken before you. Lord, just re- remove all the things that get in the way of our intimate fellowship with you. Remove the distractions tonight, thoughts of a busy day. Help us right now to just take this time and truly devote it to you, to sit at your feet, to receive from your word. We ask that you would be our teacher tonight. Your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great to see you on a Wednesday night. Now we know who loves God more than baseball. God bless you guys. For the people who don't know, the World Series started tonight, but that's chaff anyway, amen? It's all going to perish. And, you know, if you like baseball, put it on the VCR and you can watch it when you get home. It's no big deal. All right. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 28. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. This Sunday, let me encourage you to read ahead. Read Hebrews chapter 10. We have a... The last few verses of chapter 9, and we'll be looking at chapter 10 this coming Sunday. We'll just get a lot more out of it if we read ahead and spend time in it and let the Lord minister to our hearts even before we come. All right, so we've spent the last several months going through 1 Samuel, and the three main characters in this book are Samuel, Saul, and David. You have Samuel, the prophet boy, dedicated to the Lord from his mother's before his mother's womb, Hannah crying out for a, a godly son and God giving her that son who then became the prophet of Israel, who was godly when nobody else was, who heard God's voice when nobody else did, even as a young child, serving with an ungodly priest. Then along came David, as we know, and David has been an incredible, almost like a roller coaster ride, if you've been coming. One week, David just so on fire for God, and you think, wow, really a man after God's own heart. And then the next chapter, he just blows it big time. We see him going up and down and up and down. And the thing about that, though, should be an encouragement to all of us. Not that it's okay to live a hot and cold life, but that God, even when we've blown it, God can still use us. Amen? And we can still be a man or a woman after God's own heart, even if our past is not perfect, and even if in the future we make mistakes. You know, God will not bless David in his rebellion or his times of disobedience, but he, in his mercy, does not remove the calling from his life. Then we have King Saul. And we know that Saul was the one that the people cried out for. And they cried out for one who was good looking and, you know, one who would represent them well. And he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was taller and stronger. He was truly their champion. He started off in humility, but we saw him as well in a much worse way than David. Where David had at times of disobedience, David would always repent. Saul would have times of rebellion and disobedience. And the only thing he would repent about is his desire to get back all of his position or his authority or his wealth. He didn't really care about his relationship with God, as will be evidence in tonight's chapter. Now the reason I'm talking about all three of these men is all three of them are in tonight's chapter. Briefly, we're going to take a look at David, from, uh, just carry over from the last chapter. We'll talk a little bit about Saul and then his interaction with Samuel. Now you might say, if you've been paying attention, but wait a minute, Pastor Dave, didn't Samuel die in chapter 25? He did. We're in chapter 28. How in the world are we going to look at Samuel tonight? Well, stay tuned. So, we see these three men of, of different characters. And, and again, we saw that last week, moved by circumstances, that David once again fled from the Lord. 
David listened to his heart instead of to the Word of God. We, I encouraged you and exhorted you last week, we need to be careful not to listen to our emotions above the Word of God. Our emotions will lie to us all the time. The Word of God is always perfect. It's always right. It's always true. And we need to make sure we, whenever our emotions are moving us, we check them against God's Word. And sadly, we saw David make the mistake of not doing that. He was moved by his heart, it says in verse 1, and because of what was in his heart, he went contrary to the Word of God, and he's been living in the land of the Philistines outside of God's will. So tonight's text, we're going to see all three of these men, and again, these are not going to be highlight moments for Saul or David, who each are rebelling against God at this point, and again, turn to the enemy for help and protection and direction. And these are great lessons for all of us about the incredible foolishness and full-fledged rebellion of turning from the Lord to the world for help, wisdom, or counsel. The Bible very clearly says we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say you might not want to or you should consider not doing this or think about it long and hard before you do. It says walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. In Psalm chapter 1, let me encourage you to go there and read that later, but it talks about how when you delight in the Lord and you're planted by Him, your life is very fruitful. But when you walk in the counsel of the ungodly, it's destructive to your life. And that's what we're going to talk about in tonight's text. So if you're a note taker, I titled the message, Walk Not in the Counsel of the Ungodly. We have First of all, reasons why so many foolishly turn to the enemy for help and direction. Number one reason is out of fear. The number one reason that people turn from God and to the world is out of physical fear. Turning away, being overwhelmed. We're going to see in tonight's text, David fears Saul, but Saul fears the Philistines. Number two reason why we can foolishly turn to the enemy for help. When we don't get the answer we want from God. We go to God, or we go to His Word, we get the answer, we don't like it. So we turn to the world to get an answer from the world instead. And you might sit there and go, oh yeah, well that doesn't really, ah yeah it does. Happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times I'll talk to somebody, and and I'm I'm not saying it doesn't happen in my own life, because it does. But you talk to somebody, the Word of God is so very clear, and they keep asking you the same question 15 different ways to see if they can get a different answer. Instead of just saying, oh the Bible says that, that's good enough. Well sadly, we're going to see tonight that's exactly what happens. Instead of heeding the Word of God, They're moved by their circumstances, wanting to hear what they want. And in this case, King Saul. Number three, we want someone to tell us what we want to hear. So when we don't get the answer we want from the Word of God, now we go to somebody who will give us the answer we want. Guys, if you go and talk to enough people, somebody will tell you what you want to hear. Can I tell you, if you go to enough churches, somebody will tell you what you want to hear. You will find a place where you can be very comfortable in your sin. I pray you would never be comfortable in your sin here. Amen? I pray I would never be comfortable. We should not be comfortable in our sin. There should be conviction. And so sadly, we're going to see that again, when we don't hear what we want from God, we'll run to someone who will tell us what we want to hear. So that's point A, the three points. Point B, the results of seeking counsel from the world. Number one, we'll find out that the person we go to has no answers. When you go to the world for answers, you'll get none. The ones that you'll get will bring destruction and won't bring anything good. And so the first thing we see in seeking godly, ungodly counsel from the world is the ungodly counselor has no answers. Number two, it will not address our real problem. If you go to the world with your problem, your real problem will never get addressed. Because the real problem surrounding every problem is our walk with God. Amen? 
Every problem is a spiritual problem. If you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, the answer is not a program. The answer is Jesus Christ. If you're struggling in your marriage, the answer is not the right cruise. You know? The answer is you getting right with God. That's the answer to all the problems. And if you go to the world for answers, they'll give you answers that are not biblical answers or godly answers or long-term answers. And then lastly, the results of seeking counsel from the world, it will not strengthen us but leave us weak and feeble. So let's begin. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Reasons why so many foolishly turn to the enemy for help and direction. Number one reason is out of fear. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. Now, as we have seen throughout 1 Samuel, there's been many battles between the Philistines and Israel. So why does, do the Philistines choose this moment to come and attack Israel again? I believe there are two very clear reasons why. Number one, because King Saul is aging and falling apart. And number two, because now they have the children of Israel's champion on their side. Who's that? David. David has been camping out in the land of the Philistines. He's been hanging out with Achish. And if you'll recall, he's been telling Achish that he's been going out and fighting different parts of the children of Israel and defeating them. He's lying about it. It's not true. But from Achish's perspective, King Saul is falling apart and King David, their mightiest warrior, is on his side. There could be no better time than to go down and attack Israel. We're going to wipe them out finally. That's the Philistines' attitude. Guess what, guys? They keep forgetting who's on Israel's side. God's on Israel's side. Even when Israel's in rebellion, God's on their side. God continue. Why is it that Israel still exists today? There is no, it makes no sense that Israel exists today. Is that true or not? Who has more enemies than Israel? Nobody. Who are their friends? I think like us. And that's pretty much it. I mean, they have like no friends. They have this little tiny country the size of New Jersey. Everybody in the world's after them. Everybody's fighting over them. People are dividing up their country, and yet they continue to exist. They didn't exist for 1,900 years. They came back into existence. Why is that? Because God said so. And because God's not done with them. And even though they're in rebellion against God right now, He's still got His hand of protection upon them, and He's going to do great things in them. This is a time of rebellion in Israel with their king. But God is not done with Israel. So ba- both David and, and Saul at this moment are not walking by faith but in fear. And sadly, looking at the two of them, this looks like an opportunity for them finally to go down and defeat them. And then it says, second part of that verse, And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David's fear and faithlessness had put him in a really bad spot. Because he had not believed the Lord, he was moved by his heart instead of the word of God. And because he was, he'd gone down to the land of of the Philistines. He's hiding out with Goliath's people. Unbelievable. He's hanging out with them, and now the, the rumble comes, and whose side does he find himself on? You know, isn't it amazing when you hang out with the wrong people, you get yourself in trouble? You know, bad company corrupts good morals, amen? People say, well, I was just in the car. I wasn't, you shouldn't have been in the car, amen? You shouldn't have been hanging out with those people. Well, I didn't really, don't hang out with them. 
God, let me encourage you. Just start sharing Jesus with all of them. They, you won't have to stop hanging out with them. They'll stop hanging out with you. Or they'll get saved. Amen? But sadly, what happens here, David finds himself in the land of the Philistines because he fled. Look at verse 1 of chapter 27. And David said in his heart, Now I will perish someday by the hand of Saul. He didn't hear from God. He heard from his heart. His heart lied to him. He obeyed his heart, and he went. Be careful to measure your heart against the word of God. He started trusting more what he said in his heart than what the Lord God had already said to him. God had told him that those were his enemies. He went anyway. God had told him he was to defeat them. He went anyway. God will tell us to stay away from certain things and we'll go anyway because we think our heart knows better than the word of God. David believed that the lie, the lie that he was safer with the world than he was with God. He believed the lie that he would be safer with the world than he was with God. So often people are so moved by their emotions, they'll jump into a relationship that they know is ungodly and they'll jump in anyway because, but I feel. But I feel. But the Word of God says, yeah, but you don't understand how I feel. Who cares how you feel? People get mad when I say that, but here's the point. Who cares? Because your feelings lie, amen? Now, your feelings aren't always a lie, but your feelings need to be checked against the Word of God. If you're afraid to hold your feelings up to the mirror of the Word of God, you know that your feelings are lying to you. Amen? It's amazing how people run off and hide. You don't see them for a while, and they go, and they get caught up in sin, and, and they, don't want any, they don't want anybody to sign a halogen light on their life. They want to be moved by their feelings. David is in that spot. He's in the land of the Philistines. Achish just said to him, Hey, David, you're on our side now, bud. You're going to go fight with us, right? You and all your men. You're part of my army now, David. When we align ourselves with the world, we blow our testimony, we cause others to mock God, and the expectation that you are now one of them, that you have the same heart, the same goals, the same passion. He had turned from God to the world, and it resulted in the world expecting him to be like them. Guys, when you start hanging out with the world, the world expects you to be like them. When you start abandoning the things of God and pursuing after the things that the people around you pursue after, they just think you're just like everyone else. God help us not to be just like everyone else. Amen? Verse 2. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. So David's fear of Saul and his lack of faith in God's promises had put him in allegiance with the enemy, and he now is in a very difficult spot of potentially having to go and fight against the very people that God had anointed him to be king over. He was going to have to go fight his own family. The, his, these own precious, the precious people God had called him to minister to, and now he had put himself in an environment where he was going to have to go and fight against them. Now there's much debate as to whether David meant what he said here or not. There's much debate as to whether or not David was ever going to do it, if he was just lying to Achish. But in any case, David's in a bad place because he listened to his feelings over the Word of God. Because he turned to the world when he should have turned to the Lord. And in the end, he finds himself in a very bad spot. And it says, and Achish said to David, and notice that David calls himself the servant of Achish. He's the servant of the Philistine. The idol-worshipping, godless mockers of the true and living God. And he says, I'm your servant. What, how far David and how quickly David has fallen. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. 
Amazing how the world loves to promote us when we're outside of God's will. Sometimes people will say that they're blessed physically, so it must be God. Well, I took this job and I'm doing this thing, but I'm making a ton of money now, so it must be the Lord. Hey guys, sometimes great great physical blessings are the worst thing that can happen to us. Because then that becomes the passion of our life. Before you know it, then that's what consumes your thoughts and your times and your time and your passion. And you find yourself all of a sudden you don't have time for devotions. You don't have time to be in the Word. You don't have time to be involved in the children's ministry or whatever else God has called you to do because you're so passionately pursuing the things of the world. But oh, God's blessing me. I'm making so much money now. Guys, we're not going to take any some things to heaven. We're only going to take some ones to heaven. Amen? No some things, only some ones. And all the money we make only buys some things. They don't impact some ones, amen? And so often what happens is, and this is what can happen, just like we're seeing with David, it looks like, well, hey, you're going to be the garden forever. You're going to be this mighty place of power. And we think that a position of authority and power and wealth means we're blessed. And sometimes it's absolutely the worst thing that could happen to us. I think the enemy sometimes paves the way for you to do well when you're outside of God's will, so you just keep going in that direction. Amen? Lord, help us to make you the priority all the time. So he says of David, I will make you one of my guardians forever. Now, we're going to move on from David to Saul, but I want to say this. The great news here is that God's mercy, while David is not blessed in his rebellion, God will not remove his hand from him. God still has a calling upon David's life, and his calling is irrevocable, and he's still going to use him. So we'll see the rest of the story of David in coming chapters. We'll see again David being the man of God that God had called him to be. But now we see King Saul. Look at verse 3. It says, Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah. And it says, in his own city. And Saul put, it, put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Now, Samuel had died. Now, we already knew this back in 1 Samuel 25. The reminder is coming to us again that Samuel has died. And I believe that the reminder is there to remind us of the spiritual vacuum that is now in Israel. Because the prophet is gone. The prophet is gone. Not only is the prophet gone, but most of the priests are gone. Remember what happened to the priest? They got slaughtered by Saul. So now Saul's going to be in a desperate situation, and he looks, and the prophet's gone. And the priest, he's killed them all for the most part. Most of them have been slaughtered, so he's looking around. There's no prophet, and there's no priest. And just like in the situation with David, as David has allowed fear to cause him to run to the enemy, we're going to see Saul do the very same thing. Saul is going to allow fear to get him to run in the direction he never should have been. And it says there, then, the, and then it says, he put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. You know, Saul did have some good moments. God had told us in the law, God told them and told us in the law of Moses, He said, You are to put the spiritists and the mediums out from among you. You're not to have those who would call up dead people or, you know, channel to the devil or anything like that. You're not to have those people among you. You need to put them out. And you know what? In a time when he was listening to Samuel, he had done that. 
He had put him out when Samuel was around and he was heeding his counsel. He put the mediums out. I'm pointing all this out to you because he's put the mediums out, but he's about to run to him for counsel. He had been hearing from the Lord. He'd been walking with the Lord. How many of you have ever done that? There's been something in your life that is a huge stumbling block. You remove it completely away from you and then a difficulty comes and you run and dig it up again. That's what happens right here. He had removed it far from him. He had taken it away. It was nowhere near him. It was, he had no access to it. And now he's going to run right back to it like a dog returning to its vomit, as the Bible says. Now, who are the mediums and the spiritists? Those who can or claim to contact the dead or spirit beings. And God had commanded they have no place among the people. Now, today, let me give you some examples of that today. Today, we are to have nothing to do with anything of the occult. Amen? Tarot cards, palm readers, reading your horoscope, Ouija boards, psychics, modern attempts, all of them to practice forms of spiritism, and they are dangerous leaks to the demonic, even if done in the spirit of fun. Well, I just read my horoscope. It's just something fun to do. I'm in the comics, and there's my horoscope, so I just read it. I don't think, don't read it. Amen? Don't read it. You know, every once in a while, we'd have sales meetings, and every once in a while, they have a different theme. And one time, they, they had a palm reader there. And they wanted to go around and read everybody's palm. And she came to me, and I'm like, oh, I don't think so. Let that go by. And, you know, people are like, oh, it's just fun. I go, no, it's demonic. It's, it's of the devil. Because one of two things is true about psychics and spiritists and tarot card readers. One of two things is true. They're either complete and total fakes who are just you know, getting over on people and taking their money, or even worse, they're legit and they're conduits of the devil. So in either case, not good. Amen? Not good either way. Why would, no, I don't, we, so as Christians, now again, we should witness to the psychic, amen? Not walk away right by and go, you're from the devil, you know, now don't do that. We should be reaching out to them in love, amen? Share Jesus with them. We want to see them saved, but we do not participate in their ungodly behavior. It says here he was to remove them, and he had removed them out of the land in obedience to the Lord. Guys, I think this goes for the music we listen to. I think it's the games we let our kids play. Amen? You know, Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that's just, it's, it's nothing. No, uh, get away from that stuff. Amen? What are you missing out on except temptation from the enemy? Verse 4, Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all of Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. You know, Saul was so physically focused. When I think of King Saul, I think of a man who was all about the physical all the time. You know, he was the king because he was physically strong. And he put his faith in his own physical ability. And when he looked overwhelmed physically, he couldn't take it. He was a physically focused man. Saul's courage had begun to falter when the Holy Spirit was removed from him due to his own sinful behavior. And now with the death of Samuel, the last spiritual influence, all of his courage was gone. All of it. He had nowhere else to turn. You know, it's interesting. This is a circumstance that we can all deal with at times if we are not careful. 
where we get focused so on the physical of what's going on around us that we take our eyes completely off of God and we get overwhelmed. Guys, the reason we worry, the reason we fear, the reason we're anxious is we stop looking at things from a spiritual perspective. We start focusing on the physical, it seems overwhelming, and we just lose it. And that's exactly what's happening to Saul. He doesn't have Samuel anymore. He doesn't have the, pro, you know, he's killed virtually all of the priests. So who is he going to turn to for counsel? He's trembling, he's shaking, he sees the enemy. What in the world am I going to do? Where in the world is he going to turn? The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So reasons why so many foolishly turn to the enemy for help. Number one, out of fear. Number two, when we don't get the answer we want from God. Verse six. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open unto you? Doesn't the Lord say that he, you know, he's so desirous to have intimate fellowship with us? Does this seem right that Saul would cry out to God and God would not even answer him? Why in the world wouldn't he answer him? Look what it says. He did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So he didn't answer him in a personal dream. He didn't answer him by the Urim and the Thummim were the things that the priests would reach their hands in and draw them out and God would reveal his will that way. He also didn't reveal it by the prophets. So the prophets were not speaking to him. The priests were not ministering to him. God was not speaking directly to him through a dream or anything else. This just doesn't seem fair. Poor, poor Saul. You know why God's not speaking to him? Because God has already spoken to him. God already told him what to do. And he had disobeyed God and rebelled against God. And what God had told him to do, he still needed to do. Amen? God had told him, Saul, you know what? You're not the king anymore. I've brought someone else to be the king. If you're truly repentant, what Saul would have done is he would have taken himself down off the throne. He would have put David on the throne. He would have repented before Almighty God on his knees before him and started walking with the Lord. But that's not what Saul did. What did Saul do? Saul kept himself on the throne. Saul wanted to continue to be in charge and he wanted God to bless it. And so he comes to God after God's already told him what to do and says, okay, God, show me what to do. I already told you what to do. I already told you what to do, Saul. Do go do that. Amen? And too often we come to God and God's already told us what to do and we start coming before Him and praying. But God's not showing you. He already showed you. Get right with Him. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Make Him the passion and the priority of your life and then come tell me how many difficulties you're going through that you can't deal with. The problem is we're doing it on our own and we're doing it outside of God's will. And that's exactly where Saul's been. And now he's trying to get God to bless his disobedience. Hey, I'm rebelling against you, God, but I need some more answers. God, no, get right with me. Repent. Come back unto me. And you know what? He wants us to come back unto him. He doesn't get the answer he wants. So what does he do? He doesn't come in brokenness and insincerity, but seeking only what? Physical protection. His motives were self-centered, not God-centered. He didn't come and say, Almighty God, you know what? I have absolutely blown it. I need to get my life right with you. He would have answered that prayer immediately. 
Instead, he came and said, the enemy's getting really big. I need some help. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the king. I need, you got to hook a brother up. I need some help. These guys are growing over here. You got to help me. And the Lord's going, I'm not going to help you. I've already told you, you're done. You're not the king anymore. You're, you're playing king, but you're not the king. You know what? I've already ripped the kingdom from you and given it to David. And what do you do? You chase David when you should put him on the throne. You're out there trying to kill the very one. You're trying to hold on to the physical things that you need to let go of to make me the king of your life. You know, boy, is that a message for some of us tonight or what? What a, what a picture for all of us that we see that we too can have that same problem. Saul had already been given clear instruction by God. He'd been called to repentance. He'd been called to step down from the throne. He didn't repent. He sought to kill David, not to crown him. And if he would not obey what God had already shown him to do, God was not going to tell him anything more. Saul rejected the word of God, and now he's being rejected by the God of the word. Verse 7. So Saul said to his servants, Okay, God won't give me the answer I want. All right. Go find me a woman who is a medium. God won't give me the answer I want, call the psychic. Call Dion Warwick, call 1-900-PSYCHIC and see if she'll come down here. Because I've got to get an answer from somebody. Now, I'm not going to go into this, but you know what? It's interesting. I think there's a point to be made. I looked at a bunch of commentaries and everyone pointed out the fact that it was true then and it's true today that most psychics, a vast majority of them, are women. And they talked about the fact that going back to Genesis, it says the woman is more easily deceived does not mean she's less than a man in any way. But a lot of people went on and on about it, and this is why. And I just want to just make a side note to that, but guys, that doesn't mean we don't have our own problems too, amen? You know, God's called us to be the spiritual leader in our household. God's called us to be the ones who stand in the gap for our wives and pray for them, intercede for them, and to put our arms around them, because the Bible says they are the weaker vessel, not the lesser vessel. They're equal in God's eyes. You know, because Jesus is submitted to the Father. Is Jesus less than the Father? Absolutely not. And our wives are not less. But God created them different. But it is interesting that you look here, and most often you see this happening, where the women are more easily deceived. And so it says here, medium. The word medium there, speaking with a hollow sound. Someone is a, who is a channeler. So he's not finding the answer he wants from the Lord due to his own lack of repentance. So he turns to the devil for the answer. Right? Psychics from the devil. Pastor Dave, man, come on, man. Well, the Bible says we're either for him or against him, amen? Are they proclaiming the word of God? Uh, no. So what word are they proclaiming? The word of the devil. Man will always seek counsel that will give him the answer he wants, and either we are submitted to God's will or we're seeking our own. And instead of being blessed by God by coming to him, he will be cursed by God by seeking a medium. It says in Leviticus 20, and the person who turns after mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. That's the word of God. You turn to a I will cut you off from my people. That's what it says in the book of Leviticus. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, we saw just a few chapters back, the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So when we turn to witches, we turn to mediums, we turn to spiritists, it is direct rebellion against the Lord. It's saying, Lord, we don't get the answers we want from you. We're going to turn to the world. So it says, find me a woman who is a medium. They may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, 
that would be the wrong thing to do. You should turn your eyes toward God. Is that what they said? Those are the kind of people you ought to have around you, though. Amen? When you say, dude, man, you know, I just had a hard day, man. Let's just go get ripped. Let's just go out and get a 12-er and just get ripped, man. You want people around you to go, dude, are you out of your mind? I, what? What? You know what, bro, let's go spend some time with the Lord in this prayer. Let's go have time in prayer instead. Amen? Let's go spend time in the Word of God. Let's go hang out with our Christian friends. What are you talking about? But we need people around us who will encourage us in the most holy faith, will not drag us away into ungodly things. Amen? But we see here, look what happens. Instead, he's hanging around the wrong... He says, in fact, they said, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Oh, you want a medium? I know where there's a witch. Let me take you to her. That's what they're saying. Nice guys to be having with you, Saul. No wonder you're doing so well. So what he says to them is, hey, I know where there's a witch. Let's go find us a witch. Short distance away, she's just down in Endor. If they loved God or they loved King, they should have tried to stop them. Instead, they encourage him to continue to walk away from God. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Reasons why so many foolishly turn to the enemy and for help and direction. Number one, out of fear. Number two, when they don't get the answer they want from God. They go and try to find it somewhere else. Thirdly, when we want someone to tell us what we want to hear. Certainly this is a continuance of the last point. You know, we don't, we don't get what we want from God, so we turn to someone else, and now we want to find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. Someone who will condone my sinful behavior as being okay. Someone who will just tell me, that's yeah, all right, you're, you're good. Just keep living your lifestyle. It's fine. Someone who doesn't love you enough to tell you the truth. That's what they're looking for. Hiding our sin before men instead of confessing it before God. Look at verse 8. So Saul disguised himself. Does he know he's doing something wrong? If you've got to put a disguise on, a uh, clue there's something wrong. Amen? He disguises himself. He's the one who kicked all the witches out. Right? And now he's going to find a witch. It's amazing. Putting on a beard to go down to the liquor store in the town over so no one will recognize you. Right? You know, he's just going to find the thing that's his biggest struggle for him. He's going to run back to the very thing he had kicked out of town. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. He took off his kingly robes and he put on other clothes. Put on a disguise. And then it says, And he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Under the cover of darkness. He's in a disguise, he's got different clothes on, and he's coming there at night. Dude, is there any doubt that he knows that he's outside of God's will? Isn't it interesting that he comes to the witch by night, and Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And both of them are pictures of the fact that they were men with sin in their lives, but Nicodemus came to Jesus to deal with his sin. But what does Saul do? He goes to a witch. He goes to the devil instead. He came by night. Never did Saul look so low as he went sneaking up to find this fortune teller. It's about as bad as it gets. King Saul, what are you doing, man? You have the creator of the universe. Saul anointed you king over Israel. God has had his hand upon you, and now you're going out and hiding and, and you know, change, putting on a disguise and putting on different clothes and going out at night to find a witch. I can't figure out why I'm struggling in my walk, man. I don't get it. I mean, here he is. He's so far away from God. You know what? The cover of darkness may fool men, but it won't fool God. 
You know, you might be in the darkness so other men don't see you, but God, you know, God sees really good in the dark. And he can look right down and go, I know what you're doing. And he sees very clearly. And then he says to this witch, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So Saul asked this medium to channel the deceased a deceased person. He wants to, to know what this person would say. And who does he ask for? Amazingly, he asked for, King Saul, uh, for Samuel, the prophet. Now what's amazing to me is he goes to a witch to ask to talk to Samuel. Can you imagine going down to the psychic and saying, you know, could you, could you, could you bring up for me Billy Graham? I, you know what I mean? I mean, th- this is kind of the, bring up for me the spirit of someone who walked. I don't get it. And here we have King Saul, and why does he want Samuel? Because if you remember the last time Samuel talked to him, it wasn't very pretty. Samuel had said to him, uh, the Lord has removed the kingdom from you. You are no longer the king. He's put someone better than you in charge. And remember, he grabbed onto Samuel's robe, and he tried to tear it and get him to stay. That's the last time he saw Samuel, and now he's in a mess, and he asked for Samuel again. I believe, again, that he remembers he was the one who anointed him. But here's the problem, guys. He's going to Samuel when he should be going to God. He's running to a man when he ought to run to the Lord. Amen? But he's trying to get God's answer without going to God. He had tried to go to the Lord, as we saw in verse 6, but he had not got his heart right before God. So instead of repenting, he tries to find a backward way or back doorway to get to God somehow. Well, I'll just go and ask the pastor to pray. Or I'll go, I'll go, you know, I'll go ask someone else to, to intercede on my behalf. Guys, let's get, on, get right with God ourselves. So we have to go some other way. Imagine someone going to a palm reader to try to hear from God, to know God's heart. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Then the woman said to him, verse 9, Look, you know that Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Should this not have convicted him or what? She looks right at him because he's in a disguise, doesn't know he's Saul, and says, Don't you know that Saul has already cut us off from the land? We're not allowed to even talk to you guys. And it is King Saul she's talking to. He should have went, yeah, I did kick him out. This is kind of wrong. Uh, yeah, never mind. He should have left. Here's a way of escape, amen? But instead of taking it, he presses on. And look what he says. She says, why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? She feared the judgment of Saul when she should have been fearing the judgment of God. She was more afraid of what Saul thought of her than what, what God knew about her. And she should have been getting right with him. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It says, look what Saul does. So Saul swore to her by the Lord. Saul swore to her by the Lord. Saul swore to her by the Lord. He, you, this is the last time he speaks the Lord's name anywhere in the Bible. The last time Saul talks about the Lord, he swears to a witch, it will not be a problem. Not going to be a problem for you, don't worry about it. King Saul. Saul's oath in the name of the Lord reminds us of all the spiritual jargon that means nothing. People can talk about things in God's name all they want, but if it does not agree with the word of God, it's nothing but noise. But people do it all the time, don't they? Oh, the Lord, he'll bless you. The Lord, yeah, the Lord hand be upon you in the midst of the... Wait, whoa, stop. What does the word of God say? And this is exactly what's happening. He's pronouncing blessing. The last time he uses his name... Again, as certainly as the Lord lives, Saul was in complete darkness and disobedience, and he uses the last time he used his name to swear to a medium, to a witch, that she will not be punished. Unbelievable. 
As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Reasons why so many foolish turn to the enemy for help and direction. One, out of fear. Two, when they don't get the answer they want. And when they want someone to tell them what they want to hear. Okay, point B. Results of seeking counsel from the world. So what happens when you go to the world? He's, gonna, he's just pressing on. He's going to get worldly counsel. Let's see how it works out for Saul. Let's see what it does for him. Verse 11. We're going to see that ungodly counsel has no wisdom or answers. Ungodly counselors. Then the woman said to him, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring Samuel up for me. Again, last time he saw Samuel, he had been rebuked. I think it would be the last guy he asked for. But Samuel was the one guy who had given him godly counsel. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. What? There, you know what? This is a heavily debated verse in Scripture. Some people say, well, uh, she was dreaming. It wasn't really Samuel. Uh, the Bible says when the woman saw what? Guess who it was? Samuel. The Bible says when the woman saw a spirit that she made pretend to be Samuel, when there was a demonic being that pretended to be Samuel, when uh, in her mind she thought she saw something, is that what the Bible says? Or does the Bible say when she saw Samuel? What does it say? Guess who showed up? Samuel. But wait a minute, I didn't think dead people came back. I I thought absent the body, present with the Lord. You've got to remember, first of all, this is before Jesus died on the cross. Second of all, he did come up from Abraham's bosom. We'll talk more about that as we move on. But guess what? Elijah and Moses were on the Mount of Transfiguration, weren't they? Amen? Hadn't they already died? Didn't they come back? Can God do whatever he wants? What's the answer to that? So do you think she conjured Samuel up? You think it was her voodoo that got Samuel to come? Or do you think God said, you know what? I'm going to prove a real clear point to to Saul. Hey, Samuel, come here for a minute. I want you to go up over there. And I want you to remind him of everything I've told him so far. Samuel's like, I'm in heaven. I don't want to go. I'm in Abraham's bosom. I already talked to Saul enough. I don't talk to him anymore. God said, Samuel? Oh, yes, Lord. And he went. So some people think, oh, she was a fake, she was making up. No, God brought him, in. and this is what's interesting, look what it says. She cried out with a loud voice. Uh, you know why? Because she probably was a fake. <laughs> and she calls for Sam when the guy shows up. <laughs> you know, she's used to pretending, right? Oh, uh, you know, and just talking to herself or something, right? Or she would usually call up a demonic spirit. In this case, it was Samuel. The guy showed up. She called for him. He showed up. Got her really upset and nervous. The thing I asked for happened. As I said before, they're either fakes or tools of Satan. I think she was a fake and she was blown away because she knew she had nothing to do with this. And then look what she says. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. Now how does she know he's Saul? I think Samuel told him told her seriously how would she know you deceived me you're Saul I think Samuel showed up and said you know who that is that's Saul right there how else did she know she was already shocked and he said oh hey how you doing yeah you called for me I'm here and by the way that's Saul (laughs) I don't have any proof of that but how else did she know somebody told her right Samuel shows up do you think Samuel knows of course he does She's scared to death because this has never happened before. Verse 13. 
And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Now, out of the earth does not mean he came up out of a grave. Okay? Remember, prior to Calvary, everyone who died went down, went into Abraham's bosom. Read Luke 16. We talked about this on Sunday. There were those who were in a place of suffering and those who were in a waiting place until the Messiah would die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he went down into Abraham's bosoms, not into the fires of hell, like some people would teach. That's wrong. He did, you know, he said it's finished on the cross. Amen. He didn't go down and suffer in the torment of the flames. What he did is he went into Abraham's bosom and he let the captives free and he brought them into the presence of the Father in heaven. Amen. So that's where Samuel was at this point. So Samuel did come up. The Spirit, God brought him up. And then it says, So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. Now what is a mantle? It's like a robe. It's something that signifies his position as a prophet. As a man used mightily by God. And it says, And Saul perceived it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground, and he bowed down. Samuel doesn't get it. He's worshiping Saul, or Samuel. Saul doesn't get it. Saul's worshiping Samuel. He calls for Samuel. Samuel shows up. Oh, it's Samuel. So he falls on his face before Samuel. If he had just fallen on his face before the Lord back in verse 6, we wouldn't be doing all this. But the problem was he fell before the wrong one. He fell before a man when he should have been falling before God. Samuel came not because the medium's power, but because God sent him. And now God had sent him. Now why would he send him? Why would God send him? This appearance accomplishes two things. It reconfirms the coming judgment upon Saul. And it taught the medium a powerful lesson about the dangers of what she was doing. This is a, what a great example. So he stoops on his face, he worships, it's misplaced. So he seeks out a witch and he bows before a prophet and he's still in rebellion against God. Right? He ran to a witch, he bowed before a prophet and and he's still in rebellion against Almighty God. So results of seeking counsel from the world, the ungodly counselor has no wisdom or answers. Secondly, will not change our real problem. Look at verse 15. And it says, Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you been disturbed? disturb me by bringing me up i guess so that's a great question right dude i was in heaven i was in abraham's bosom but it's heaven light okay it's heaven on the way to heaven all right i was in abraham's bosom why i've spent all the time talking to you you never heard what i said before and now you got me coming back here what is that about right he's asking him why what, what is it why are you calling for me and then what he says and saul answered i am deeply distressed because I'm outside of God's will and I need to get right with him. That's not what. He says, I'm deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. I'm bummed out because, you know what, I'm overwhelmed physically and I just can't take it anymore. Not, I need to get right with God. I need someone to help me fight with my physical and worldly enemy. His problem was not the Philistines, but a broken relationship with God. He says, and God has departed from me. It does not answer me anymore, neither by prophet nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Again, he should have got back right with God. Instead, he calls for someone to tell him what he wants to hear and how to have victory over the Philistines without having to to deal with this 
being separated from God. Until his relationship with God is right, all the counsel and instruction in the world is meaningless. See, when you go to the world for counsel, the counsel you get will not address the real problem. The real problem for Saul is not the Philistines, it's his walk with God. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you, has become your enemy? What a great, what a great question. Um, I'm on God's team. Did you forget that part? So if God's not telling you, why do you think I'm going to tell you? Why are you asking me if God departed from you? Why do you come to me to get a blessing when God won't bless it? And so often, this is a response we need to have. He thought if he kept asking, the better news would come, but it never does. It reminds me of your kids. You know, they ask you the same question 19 different ways, trying to get a different answer. But what if I, how about if, but what if, you know, and they just keep trying, and you go, the answer's no. You can change the question 18 times, the answer's still no. But they keep trying, and that's what, that's what King Saul's doing. If I ask the question enough ways, maybe he'll give me what I want. Verse 17. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, God has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. Uh, You wanted me to come back and tell you what's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Same thing I told you. A bunch of chapters ago. What did I tell you? I told you that because of your disobedience, because you did not kill all the Amalekites, Amalek is a picture of the flesh. If we do not put the flesh to death completely, the flesh will destroy us. And so he said, because you didn't destroy the flesh, because you didn't um, wipe out the Amalekites, because you did not obey God, God is taking the kingdom from you, giving it to David, and now guess what? Those Philistines you're worried about, they're going to destroy you. Anything else you wanted to have answers about while I'm here? That was not the answer he wanted, was it? You know what the the answer was? He needed to get right with God. His circumstances were not due to the unfaithfulness of God, but his disobedience before him. He had missed the Lord. It says, and tomorrow your sons will be with me. 24 hours from when this was spoken, Saul and his sons were all dead. Now, some people said, with me, does that mean Saul's in heaven? No, I don't think so. Only God knows, not for me to judge ultimately, but he's walking in complete rebellion against God. Remember that Abraham's bosom had two compartments, one where Abraham's bosom was and one where they were in torment in hell, right? They could see a cross, and I believe that's where they were headed, sadly. should not delight in that, but I believe that's the facts. And then it says, the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. You know what, Saul? Not only are you going to be wiped out, but so will your people. Last point. Results of seeking godly counsel, seeking counsel from the world. It will not strengthen us, but leave us weak and feeble. Look at verse 20. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. He was dreadfully afraid. He should have been dreadfully repentant. Right? And then it says... And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or night. And the woman, who's the woman? The witch, the spiritist, came to Saul and, and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has opened your voice, and I have put my life in my, put my, life in my hands and heeded the words you spoke to me. Therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat. You may have strength when you go your way. Is this sad or what when a witch is trying to comfort you? 
How far away have you gotten? Verse 23. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took the flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Did they go away any better than the way they came? If anything, it's worse. It's just the reality that, you know what? You're away from God. You're apart from God. You're outside of God's will. Saul's about to stand before him. He's not strengthened by her counsel, but instead what happens is all he's getting is his flesh fed, right? She feeds his flesh because that's all the world can do is feed our flesh. It cannot feed our spirit. We can only go to the Lord to be fed spiritually. So, in closing, walk not in the counsel of the, godly, of the ungodly. Reasons why so many foolishly turn to the enemy for help. Number one, out of fear. Number two, when we don't get the answer we want from God. Number three, when we want someone to tell us what we want to hear. And what happens when we do that? What are the results? The ungodly counselor has no wisdom or answers. Number two, we will not, it will not change our real problem. Our real problem is our walk with God. And third, we will not be strengthened, but instead it will leave us weak and feeble. Lord, help us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Help us to be those who seek after the Lord in the, in the day of trouble. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love and your grace you show toward us. Help us, Lord, not to dabble with the things of this world, the things of the occult. Lord, help us only to pursue you. Keep our eyes focused on you. Give us a spiritual perspective, Lord. Father, I pray when temptation comes to be dragged into the old way of life and the old temptations that used to drag us down, Lord, that you would help us, Father God, to take the way of escape and to walk with you. Father, I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for the infinite mercy you shed upon us. You're such a loving and a merciful God. Help, me see, help us to seek after you, to desire intimate fellowship with you above all else. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.